1: People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity's gone through.
2: It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is? It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months.
1: But in this kind of world, you're compounding 100% growth every year. And the numbers become astronomical.
2: AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise... You might as well bloody invest in
1: them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just going to be angry man shaking your fist at the clouds.
0: It is all the good news priced in? Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. With me today is Jeremy Schwartz, Global Chief Investment Officer at Wisdom Tree. Hey, Jeremy, welcome back.
3: Maggie, thank you so much for having me.
0: So um, November was a huge month, and we started off December in similar fashion. We had a big rally in stocks, in bonds, the 10-year yield now at 4.22%. Gold was up, crypto is up. Before we jump in and I get your thoughts, I just wanted to play some highlights from some conversations we've been having all week as we discuss what's driving this momentum. Let's have a listen
3: they have not achieved their inflation outcomes, but we are very much making progress towards that outcome from their perspective. And not only are we making progress towards that outcome from their perspective, they're going to have to revise down their 2022 inflation projections, which may, just from a base effect perspective, cause them to revise down uh, their 24 and 25 uh, inflation projections. You know, if you Powell, things look pretty good right now. I mean, you've you you know you've pulled out that that soft landing,
1: um, unemployment is still very low, that- stock market is almost a record high inflation has gone all the way from 9% to, to three and a half why would you mess things up why would you change just if it ain't broke it
3: don't fix it so when the bond market sends signals that clearly that the trend is changing I don't think anything I just sit up in my chair and decide how fast I can drive the bus You know, I mean, the S&P 10% in four weeks got that message loud and clear. Positioning has changed. Sentiment has changed. The whole thing, you know, the gears are moving for a tactical trade higher. There's going to be an ebb and flow to this trade, but this trade is on like Donkey Kong into the end of the year.
1: Bitcoin broke out two weeks before the stock market bottom. Broke out before yields turned. Broke out before the dollar turned. So I think I now have a a market, whether I trade or not, that is an early indicator of what the rest of risk is going to do. Mm -hmm. And it's been kind of moving sideways, losing momentum for the last week or so. And I wouldn't chase Bitcoin either. I think you'll have a chance to buy it at 30 grand.
0: Yeah, so very interesting. I mean, there uh, there has been that the November move is really powerful, Jeremy. But, you know, to see December step right in with this month, what's your sense? Are you surprised to see investors coming out of the gates right away and resuming that rally in stocks
3: and bonds? It's all been one trade in so many ways. It's all, you know, the bond market is driving so many things. So we all come back to the Fed and interest rates and how it's all taking shape. And I mean, today, Unlike the the full year, I mean, it's been a Nasdaq Big Seven led market. Today, you see the the Nasdaq up. Uh, I'm showing sure just twenty basis points right now, but the Russell two thousand up almost three percent, which is yeah massive diversion. And you know, again, I, it's the ten year now. What's what's interesting about all the relationships? I I think back to a decade ago in twenty thirteen, which was a big year for the markets. Rates were going up, and as you know you would think back then often. Rising rates is good for the economy, symbol of symbol for the economy. Small caps are more cyclical. So you, you'd say small caps do well with rising rates, is one of the things you might have said back then. And today it's like, well, now small caps are facing these funding pressures from they're the only ones who have bank loans. And so their rates reset with the Fed higher rates. The large caps extended maturities, they're not facing. The brunt of all these higher rates from the Fed, so only the small caps do it. So rates go down, small caps fly, you know, which is yep. basically what you started to see a little bit. Um, but, you know, I there could be a lot of catch up in small caps. I mean, they are definitely not, you, you hear everybody, the 493 versus the magnificent seven, the valuations are much more supportive to small caps. But the question is, will the economy hold up? Will we have, you know, earnings hold up? next year for them. So that, that's the big question of if you have a falling rates because the economy is slowing down, you know, that's not as as positive.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really important. And right now, obviously we're in this sweet spot because we did get GDP, still look strong, right? Employment's holding in. So you've got that perfect kind of Goldilocks situation. The the issue is, as you say, as we look out into 24, you know, what happens and can we um sort of hit that soft landing where the economy is still supportive enough for businesses. Um, you know, Jay Powell was out talking today. The Fed really, from some recent comments, kind of got the ball rolling on this, even from the last meeting. And Jay Powell came out today, and he had a chance to sort of really strongly walk it back or try to. I mean, he did say talk of cutting rates was premature, but investors didn't seem to be buying it at all. Um, what what should we be expecting from the Fed and rates? I mean, it, it, it is, is the market pricing in too many easings right now? I mean, they're disregarding verbally yeah. with the Fed saying, how do you see the rates and inflation situation?
3: If you look out to December next year, Fed Funds Futures, you get a sense of how many cuts the market is starting to price in. And Actually, if you just look at the pricing of the Fed fund futures, you'd say they're starting to think of five cuts for next year. Now, one of the things uh, my mentor and senior economist at Wisdom Tree, Jeremy Siegel, often says is you can't just look at the rates because people buy these futures as a hedge on something bad happens. And so if something bad happens, they have to cut rates a lot more. And so the actual, if you say like what does the market actually think the fed's going to do? It's probably more like three to four. and then you have this other twenty five base point that's sort of like this hedge for something going bad factor that's sort of pushing up the that pushing those rate cuts higher just because it's a good hedge asset. But you know I we we'd say it's appropriate for them to be cutting. Uh, we've been talking about the disinflationary trends we see. In our data, we've been calculating this alternative inflation metric that factors in some more real-time housing data. And you know, one of the things is, you know, the headline inflation. When they were first saying inflation was much transitory in 2021, you got up to 8% CPI. Our numbers were like 13.5% because of just what was happening in housing. Then our numbers started crashing, you know, much faster than the official numbers. Uh, and you're hearing some people talk about all right, well, what's what are we doing in this? Is we're just playing more real-time shelter. And you have people like Austin Goolsbee saying, hey, the all of inflation boils down to what happens in housing and shelter. And, and that's what we're showing in this chart, is how much lower we got down to almost a zero handle on headline inflation. You know, the official numbers were three, two. We're showing two, 2 which is right basically at the target. Uh, I think the trajectory, the path for the official numbers are to keep coming down. Although you'll notice my number hooked up a little bit, at yeah,
0: yeah, know, what's it, up with that?
3: It went off those if you, we have we have a chart on core inflation also if we, if we want to show that one, um you know this was this was showing um you know we got up to four percent on you know we're down to four percent on core inflation. Our numbers are on two and a half percent. you know I, I think the the dynamic is the shelter inflation. You know, what we're doing is we're substituting case Schiller housing data. And you got case Schiller housing data in again. And you know, with seven, eight percent mortgages, you might have expected more softness. I mean, there was a time we got seven months in a row of negative housing prints. And you know, so we were showing much cooler numbers for the shelter inflation. Our number has hooked higher, um, so it's not quite as low. But we think the traditional metrics will come down. I mean, it, it we, we do think that there is softening in housing, but that is one of the key things we're watching is, is will our number keep going higher? Because uh, certainly off the lows from where our number was just a little, little time ago.
0: Well, and I think that speaks to one of the concerns out there that people have had is, okay, the inflation's finally moving lower, but are we going to have this second wave of inflation that comes, especially if the economy... Stays somewhat robust. It's like that's the argument of the inflationistas out there, if you will. Yes.
3: Well, and we're also saying, do not stick to that narrative from the Fed. The Fed—that is one of the biggest risks to the market—is that the Fed sticks to we're going to have the stop and go inflation of the seventies, and they what we call the false narrative of the seventies is, hey, we had these big issues um, where we tight we loosened too quickly. Now, you know, why do we say it's a false narrative? Um, during the '70s, the money supply kept growing, 10% a year. The money, you know, when we think about what the money supply should grow, we like to think of four to five percent, and really five percent as the magic mon- magic number for money supply to grow. And why? Where do we come up with that? Money supply should be approximating equal to inflation plus real growth in the economy. So if you have two to three percent real growth, two to three percent inflation, that gets you to five percent. Why did we have the surge in inflation, well, you had the money supply grow 40% during the pandemic. All the efforts that the government did, they flooded the system with money, and the Fed gave the government the money. Um, they, you know, If they the Fed didn't do all the buying of, of assets that they did, interest rates would have gone up much higher. And so in, in some ways, the Fed did accommodate. People started giving Powell credit for getting inflation back down. I said, like, well, no, he sort of like you you- Crash into somebody and then you take them to the hospital. Like they did create the inflation. Um, But, you know, and so yes, now it's coming down, but inflation, the above trend inflation was a reflection of the above trend money. Well, money supply started declining. And it actually, earlier this year, we were really worried because money supply was sharply negative, as negative as it was since the Great Depression. You hadn't really seen declines. Um, and you had to go back to the Great Depression to see declines in the money supply. You, and, and during the '70s, again, it's growing at 10% a year. So that is not what we have today. It's it's you, you, it, it stopped declining. It hooked a little bit higher, but it's not growing at the 5% rate we would like it to. So that is one of the deflationary factors in there. That you know you can, if the Fed, this is part of the thing we think the Fed needs to be patient. You need to let the data at the shelter data, come come their way next year. Um, and again, the money supply is nothing like the 70s.
0: Hey, everyone, we're going to take a quick break right now to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
1: I think we all know by now, things are pretty fucked out there for most of us. You see, whether it's currency debasement, rising real estate prices, or wages that never go up, It's really hard. And one of the most popular things we ever did was that series, How to Unfuck Your Future. So we're going to do it again. March 11th, March 22nd. We'll discuss the problems at hand, no holds barred, and then we'll give you all the tips you need to unfuck your future. It just costs a dollar to join Real Vision to get access to all of this content. Go to realvision.com forward slash the future. I'll see you there. Let's unfuck your future together.
0: One of the things when people look at housing is this concern that you're only going to get so much easing off in prices because there's a shortage of supply, and it'll you know there's a longer lag in terms of trying to catch up with supply. On that, is that worrisome, or is that it's really that rate of decline that matters? For uh, and you know there may be a floor you're not going to see it collapse, but that you're not going to see that feed into inflation.
3: Yeah, you know, we it, it, interestingly, coincidence is you saw the money supply go from March 2020, March 22, 40 percent higher. The case Schiller Index went up 40 percent from that period. And so that was an interesting coincidence of people looking at shelters. One of those nice inflation hedges over the long run and, and you, people were buying. The demographics seemed to be supportive for housing. We would have thought with 78 percent mortgage, you would have gotten a deeper correction. You yeah. really didn't. Um, But it has cooled down considerably, and some of the anecdotes that we hear is that it's continuing to cool down. But yes, that supply constraint is what you hear all the time. People trying to justify prices, people say, Oh, they know they're going to refinance eventually, so they don't care about paying the seven percent mortgage. And there's some truth to that. If I was advising friends to say, Yeah, you know, the mortgage rate, you're probably going to get a chance to, to refinance much lower, so you don't have to be overly concerned. And so I, I, all that narrative does make sense. We didn't think you had to erase all the gains in housing, but you would have thought you might come down 10% off the highs. You didn't quite get there. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I think that the official data that Powell looks at is going to get better throughout the course of the year. And I think you know the official CPI statistics will, will come their way.
0: So it gets better. But does that mean they've got to cut? I mean, there's, you know, like, and and you have even have Ackman saying he thinks he's even ahead of the market. Bill Ackman coming out and saying he thinks, so clearly he's concerned of a more serious slowdown. So maybe the question isn't do they cut is where's the risk that things slow down markedly from here?
3: Well, it it does come back to, this sort of question of what is the right neutral rate? You know, like Powell uses the word, we're in overly, we are in well into restrictive territory. You know, well into restrictive territory was a quote you kept hearing. And if you, if they have 5.30 as their rate and inflation is really coming back to 2 to 3%, their real rate is, even if it was 3%, if you just took headline inflation day at 3%, their real rates, call it 2%. You know, if, if, if it actually gets down to 2%, the trend actually gets to CPI of 2%. Now the real rate's 3%. You know, the long-term neutral maybe one and a half to two. So they're very restrictive, yeah. right? So they're, this, when, that, when the real rate gets much above what is sort of neutral, where they're not too aggressive, not too they're not too tightening, and they're not too loose, where does that neutral rate stand out? And so I, I do think there's going to be some concern that they just Drive more unemployment than is necessary. Do you really want to kick out a million to two million workers from their jobs because you're at two and a half percent instead of two percent inflation, like in an election season? You know, yeah. so I think that is the thing we we think there's gonna be a lot of pressure. Uh, you know, Powell's gonna want to keep his job, um, so I, I think he's not gonna want to overly throw us into a recession, cause all this extra unemployment because they're keeping rates too high. Yeah, if the actual inflation is gonna come come their way. Not well, to
0: mention, they missed it on you know in terms of get inflation getting away from them. They want to make an error on the on the downside as well, you know um, of of getting that timing wrong. ISM came out today, speaking of where weakness is, and it was it was subdued again, right? It was the thirteenth month, I think, below um, below fifty. Um, it seems like ma- we keep saying like, when's there a recession? Some people might point to manufacturing and saying we're kind of already in one.
3: Right. There's signs of the slowdown. There are signs and the higher they stay at f- above five, the the more risk they create. So that's why we think they should be talking about it. You know, in some of their previous quotes, they're like, we're not even talking about talking about these lowering <laughs> rates. Um, we do think they should start talking about it and, you know, how quickly they do it will, will obviously be dependent on the official inflation data and how much more unemployment starts to pick up. But you're coming into the year end budgeting season, planning season, people be focused on margins and uh, how they manage their cost bases going forward you'll you'll see where it does unemployment go over the coming months. And uh, I think you you could if there's more signs of weakness, obviously they'll 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 the chance of rate cuts come in come in sooner,
0: yeah. is should we worry that the ism number is a sign of what's to come for the rest of the economy? Are they leading, showing us that things are, starting to crater or do you think that is that sector kind of is working on its own dynamics I think AJ AJ asking what you make of that number
3: it's just one of the signs of weaknesses i mean there's absolutely it's one of the signs um, you, china certainly you say like who we think about the global economy of europe is definitely showing more sluggish signs of recession they're in, battled in the war They've got all sorts of issues in, in Europe, but not a lot of strong growth in Europe. You have China, who's dealing with its real estate crisis. They are not an engine of global growth at the moment. They're they're not showing people are, keep calling for, well, when will they actually stimulate and help reignite excitement about their ramification spillovers across the rest of emerging markets? That's not coming. We don't see any signs of that. Uh she keeps talking about high quality growth, not which is a which is they're not going to really overstimulate. So you don't see China taking the the growth baton, Europe's not taking the growth baton, US, we've got these higher rates. So it you could see the, the sort of global sluggishness that, that is there.
0: We're gonna take another quick break to hear a word from our partners. We'll be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. Ralph asking, uh, do you have any thoughts on the direction of the yuan? Actually, before we get to that, let's talk about the dollar. <laughs> the dollar, so everything's rallying. The dollar's not. The dollar has been falling substantially as the market prices is in um, these rate cuts. Does that feel like that's going to continue to be the trend? There's some pretty bearish predictions for the dollar out there.
3: Well, I, I think a lot of what well, you see today, again, I come back to it's all one trade. It's like what's happening to the 10 year is, is coming into all these markets. So, you know, got the yen to the, the Japanese yen, you're getting to 151, 152 when the 10 year was approaching 5%. We've come off 80 basis points. So, you know, there's just less of that carry trade in treasuries versus their own local market. The euro at 108. I mean, I've talked to some people who think the euro should be fair value at 90 cents. And so, you know, I, I don't know if the, the euro can keep rallying um, just be off of the the weakness from the Fed. Um, I mean, you, do, you definitely see gold as one of those hedges against the dollar doing very well. But again, I think that's tied to the low rate phenomena that there's less of a competition for gold with, with, with some of these things. So uh, it all comes back to what happens to this 10-year is- going to drive these other markets, it could be it could pressure stocks, it could pressure, the dollar could go back in the other direction if the 10-year were to start rising again.
0: Which has really been the case all year, right? I mean, that's where the volatility's been, and that's, where, that's what's been leading. So you um, sent over some interesting charts, uh, a, a, a sort of scorecard of 80 ETFs. I think this is really interesting because one of the questions we get is, okay, so we're if we're in a new regime now, what's going to work as we head into 2024, right? Like what, yeah. wh- where do we want to be positioned or where do we, what do we want our portfolios to look like? So what what is this telling you in terms of performance and what that might indicate for 2024?
3: So I, I showed sort of top and bottom, so top five and bottom five. We can look at both of them, but in terms of what was at the leaderboard this year, it was AI-driven stocks, so things like a cybersecurity ETF or cyber. uh, Then U.S. quality growth. This is where you're positioned. The Magnificent Seven stocks, that QGRW sort of quality growth selection had all the Magnificent Seven as their top weights. The way we select for profitability and growth rates got all seven of them. Uh, But then you get Japan. Actually, two Japan funds trading like AI stocks. You know, and you have value investors like Buffett who's been buying Japan. I still think Japan is one of the cheapest markets globally. I think it's benefiting from moving away from China. I actually think Japan and India, if you're sort of a global investor, are benefiting from the pivot away from China. Um, but I do, I do sort of joke that you get these value stocks in Japan trading like AI because the other three. ETFs on this list is one is a pure pure AI fund and one is cyber tied to all this tech world and then one's Magnificent Seven. that's benefiting from all AI. So I'd say if anything, I'm I'm bullish on Japan on the what's continuing leaderboard. I mean I think the the valuations are the most supported for the future. If I go to what's not been working, it's you have. High dividend U.S. stocks on the list. That's DHS. The sort of traditional value has been down. Um, when you saw sort of that those AI quality growth up 40, so just a huge dispersion from value versus quality growth. I like the value stocks is a little bit more, well certainly more reasonably priced or 10 PEs on that high dividend basket. To me, that's I think uh, for people playing a little bit of the. The long-term value rotation, mean reversion. Uh, that's to me one of my favorite ways of expressing that, even though it was negative this year. I think that's part of the reason I look at it for next year. Uh, China was on the negative side, big negative this year. I'm not buying the value trade on that one per se. I think that uh I do a podcast every week on uh, called Behind the Markets on, on Sirius XM 132. Uh will be playing actually right after we get off at five o'clock again if you're on Sirius. But we talked with uh a woman, Liza Tobin. She's from a group called scsp.ai, Special Cons- Special Competitive Studies Project. It was funded by Eric Schmidt, oh. and they focus a lot on AI and the competition with China. They want to see can they bring back high tech to the U.S. and try to make the U.S. as competitive as it possible in the sort of global competition, but particularly with respect to China, particularly with respect to AI. Uh, And it it just feels like the tension with China is going to be there for a long time. And so you have the their own economic issues. You have the geopolitical side. I think we're going to go from talking about all Fed to all talking about geopolitics as we look ahead over the coming years. So I think I think China is not quite one that I'm buying the value side. But on that list was biotech. I think biotech is one of the. Unloved beneficiaries of AI. I'm, I'm reading a book yeah. now by, by Jamie Metzl. on I know Jamie Metzl. Do you know Jamie? Yeah. Uh, he's a great, great guy. He's got a new book coming out. Super it Really converted. interesting
0: character. Yeah. So he he just put a book out on that. I didn't realize that. Oh, well, it's
3: coming. I got a preview. Oh,
0: okay, great. Uh, it's
3: coming out in June. But um I'm, he's got me real excited about this concept. Uh and we actually work with him on this biorevolution concept, but it's it's the the convergence of AI to the biotech field, when you think about all, you know, mapping of the genome, it's all just data. And so yeah. the AI is going to Listen, it all. Listen, we lived
0: through it. The COVID vaccine. Yes. That was an early example of like just crunching an enormous amount. I mean, you need cooperation too, which would be interesting to ask him about if it's data sets in terms of sharing them, whether it's academia or nation states. Yes. But you know, like that 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 opened a door about what would be possible if everyone got together and decided they wanted to do that. And so that that is the power and add quantum computing on that. Super, super interesting idea.
3: Yeah. So I I, when I look at it being down last year and being on the list of the top worst performers. I think of that as just, and it's been down three years in a row. So biotech's been down three years in a row. And so why has I
0: think, it been down so much, Jeremy?
3: Well, there was obviously a lot of excitement. And they were sort of the ultimate Covid play. So there was a lot of move that came from that. And then see people have just been taking it off, and they've been moving their growth money elsewhere to this other yeah. traditional AI stories. But and 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 yes, the the speed you can innovate in just software and things like the LL, those chat GBT and all these things that people are seeing tangibly. It's harder to see the research that takes a long time to develop and it's one drug at a time. But you have to go
0: through FDA and some of the other regulatory
3: time, but I think yeah. it's it's meaningful. So if you had to say where is AI going to have a real yeah. impact for the next ten years, this is the space I have actually a lot of confidence in. Um, that's so, so think-
0: interesting. That's really that's a really interesting thought. I have to say I want to go back, flip back to China for a second. Um, you know, we they just Xi and Biden just met, and there were some attempts for the Chinese to. Um, Try to put an olive branch out, maybe to foreign direct investment. Sounds like you're skeptical. Does does anybody feel differently? Because not only do you have going into election year the idea that the geopolitical uh, rhetoric will heat up and be adversarial, certainly at least between the U.S. and China, but China itself has a track record of stamping out. I mean, um, you know that the sort of tech innovation and revolution that was so strong there with their yeah. own moves. It, w- what would it take to kind of reassure investors or restore that investor confidence in, in the China story.
3: The foreign direct investment is definitely at, at real low levels. Um, people are moving away. You see big companies like Apple saying they're gonna have to start investing in India, but it's not easy to move this overnight, right? Like- um, The
0: supply I, chain, yeah. It's there's, there's not
3: t- easy. I mean, you know, What's fascinating, you had, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners here saw on on, on Twitter, Elon's conversation with, with Andrew Ross Sorkin this week where he talked about you know, um, after Tesla, he thinks the next nine of the 10 largest car companies might come out of China, just how strong the competition in China is. And they're actually going up the value chain and not just producing low cost, you know, t-shirts, they're actually producing some real high quality stuff. Well, and they cleared
0: the EV, the battery market is, you know, that's, that's key to that, right? And And the supply chain, but Will they? Will they be able to? Will the environment be such that they can export that globally? Will people let them into the markets in the way that will enable them to be a force outside of China?
3: Yeah. Well, I think Europe is more likely than the U.S. Um, I think you know the, the U.S. has took some actions. There's actually an executive order right now to study a few critical areas like artificial intelligence, quantum computing, um, and and so they're. Now there was thoughts that we that we would do more. We're trying to restrict some of the private investments. Uh a lot of the there was a big there's a big news item where Sequoia was having this venture capital or private capital fund that was gonna put like three billion dollars into tech, like AI tech, semiconductors that essentially they viewed as funding our enemies. And you know, the government say, Oh, we shouldn't do that. And then the question was, was gonna go from private companies to public companies? And mm. I had heard that they might. Make it tougher to invest in some of these companies because um, you had all these sanctions with Russia. You sort of have this memory yeah. of, of what what happened there. And you know, China is not like Russia was. I mean, Russia was a small weight in traditional emerging markets portfolios. China got up to forty percent of the MSN index. Now it's around thirty after the big pullback. But could they make it more difficult? Um, you know, Biden. They did do this executive order. They did talk about making it harder. It's it's out there for public comment right now. Um, But Biden's been sort of going along with the European lines. He's trying to make it a global approach and going, what what does our European allies want to also do so that we're not being an outlier there? The question will be, if you get a Republican in, if Trump comes back, is that going to make it tougher on China in some way? Uh, So let's see. I mean, I I just, there's definitely... It's not a crystal clear case on um, those tensions ameliorating over the next 12 months.
0: Yeah, and it's gonna, and, and, you know, as always in an election year anywhere, but certainly in the US, by the way, I think, Next year is a massive election year everywhere. I think there was I saw I think I saw a stat that there's an enormous amount of elections going on. Um, the, the the difficult part is often separating the rhetoric from policy, because <laughs> campaign rhetoric is something very different than actual legislation, law, or executive order, and that's thrown off investors certainly globally in the past when they hear things being said, like do, are they actually then put into effect? That's going to be tricky for us all to navigate. A lot of really interesting stuff. Love bringing up um, the value rotation and the biotech um, conversation. Jeremy, that was really interesting. It was great to see you. Thanks for being on with us.
3: Well, thanks for having me. Have a good weekend here. Thanks for having me here.
0: Absolutely. And thanks to all of you. Hope you enjoy your weekend. We will see you next week. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there.
1: People are going to lose their minds. This is a moment in history unlike anything humanity has
2: gone through. It's a very different world for humans to come. Take a step back and see the broad picture, which is the way all these technologies are interlinked. Because this is all about exponentiality and humans can't think in exponential terms. How consequential do you want to say machine intelligence is, It's almost certainly as consequential as writing. How long did writing take to disseminate through the human population? You know, hundreds, thousands of years. And we're dealing with it now on a scale of months. But in this kind of world,
1: you're compounding 100% growth every year, and the numbers become astronomical.
2: AI is going to spot patterns in the world that were just completely invisible to us. Even if you think that the AI and the robots are your demise, you might as well
1: bloody invest in them and make some money out of it. If not, you're just gonna be angry man shaking your fist at the clouds.